Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. We'll look at verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds, who, being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as He hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said He at any time, Thou art My Son, this day have I begotten Thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when He bringeth in the first begotten into the world, He saith, And let all the angels of God worship Him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us as we study Your Word today. Lord, help us to remember what the the purpose of Christmas is and why You came. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I know at this time of year, things get so busy, life becomes so distracted, and the Christmas holiday season has become so much more than the remembrance of the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it does seem as the world becomes more and more post-Christian, as America becomes more and more post-Christian, that the celebrations of Christmas become more and more post-Christian. Imagine celebrating Christmas without Jesus Christ. It would be like celebrating a birthday for no one. (laughs) Oh, who's that present for? You know, I really don't know. We just thought we should have a celebration. Now, Christmas, there is a reason for Christmas, and let's all say it, okay? Jesus is the reason for the season. He is He is the reason that we have Christmas. And so what I want us to do today is in the middle of everything that's going on in the world, I want us to turn our focus back to the Lord Jesus Christ, who He was, who He is, and who He always will be. I want us to look at our Savior, Jesus Christ, today. John Phillips said it very well. He said this, Man's noblest achievements go awry. There are still diseases he cannot eradicate, deserts he cannot reclaim, ecological imbalances he cannot restore, growing depletions in vital raw materials he cannot replenish. But worst of all, man cannot control himself. And the greatest of his discoveries cannot prevent the waging of war. It's just true. It seems like the more that we invent... Do you know what happened with the great inventions of the 20th century? We were able to kill each other more efficiently. And that is the legacy of the 20th century. Nietzsche, the the German philosopher who pronounced that God is dead, he said that he believed that because God had died, the 20th century would be the bloodiest century in all of human history. And he proved to be a prophet. He was right. When you take God out of the equation, the God of the Bible, when you take God out of the equation, then men's noblest achievements do go awry and we end up with a world where people are simply wanting to kill each other. It could be better than that. Jesus Christ truly is the Prince of Peace. But the problem is the world wants peace without acknowledging the Prince of Peace, and they can never have it. 
The Bible says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. You can't have any of that until you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which comes by accepting Him as your personal Savior. That's the world that we live in. Now, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 1 and let's look at a couple of things. The first thing, if we're going to focus our attention on Jesus, we can see the way that the book of Hebrews does. Look at Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 again. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Now remember what's being spoken of there. The Bible was written by more than 40 different human authors over a period of about 1,500 years. So God, at sundry times and in diverse manners, spake unto the fathers by the prophets in diverse manners. Some of the Bible's written in Hebrew, some of it's written in Aramaic, and some of it's written in Greek. And so in diverse manners and at diverse sundry times and diverse manners, God spoke unto the fathers by the prophets. But there remains so much more to be said. Now, I love reading. Now, usually when you read a book and then you watch the movie, which one is better? The book. It's just, why? Because to take a 400-page book and turn it into a movie, it would be like, you know, what it was, Gone with the Wind. I felt like that movie went on forever. Just shoot me. Right? It's really interesting, though, a book can say so much more than a movie. But have you ever read a biography? How many of you have read a biography? You've read a bi- Wouldn't it be better to meet the person? Because a biography can ne- never tell you everything there is to know about the person. And there's no way a book can communicate personality. Right? Have you ever wondered what somebody really looked like up close? You know, like a movie star. Somebody said that um, they took all of the makeup off of Tammy Faye Baker. Do you remember that? Do you know what they found? Jimmy Hoffa. No, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> but if you've ever wondered, when you see somebody up close, that just look different than you expected. What's really interesting is radio personalities. Have you ever noticed that people never look like their voices? Right? And it, it's just really interesting. And so God had communicated information about himself in the Bible. But there remained so much more to be said, and so he came in the flesh. And he said, here I am. I'm here. The Bible says this, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Bible says, in, that's in, in John chapter 1, in First John, the Bible says, that which we have seen, that we have held with our hands of the word of life, Jesus Christ. There remains so much more to be said. And the first thing that God gives us, the first piece of information that God gives us about this son is that he is the creator. So who do we worship at Christmas time? Who came in the manger? Who who was this person that was laid in the manger? He was the creator. You see, the Creator chose to step into His creation and not only step into it, but to become part of His creation. And it's an amazing thing. Look at Hebrews chapter 1 again. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom He hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also He made the worlds. 
Jesus Christ, the Creator. As you've heard before, Jesus Christ stepped out onto the edge of nothing and spoke everything into existence. He said, light be and light was. He said, earth be and earth was. He said, stars be and stars were. You thought I was going to say stars was, didn't you? (laughs) You see, Jesus Christ created everything out of nothing. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. What's he saying? Everything was made out of nothing. Everything was made out of nothing. Jesus Christ, that baby that was placed in the manger, born of a virgin, that Jesus is the God who created the world. John 1, 1 says it this way, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ came. The Creator came and was born of a virgin and was placed in a in a stall, in a barn, probably a cave. The King of the world came in that way. That's who we see. That's who we see at Christmas time. That's who our focus should be at at Christmas time. We see Jesus, the Creator. Now, some say that this creation is impossible. You know, some scientists, how many of you have heard this? Science Science has proven that God did not create the world. How many of you ever heard somebody say something like that? Science has proven that God could not create the world. I, I like this statement. Science has disproven God. Science has disproven God. That would be like a mechanic saying he can disprove the existence of Henry Ford. Because he understands how an engine works, he no longer needs Henry Ford. Or it would be like saying, because we have an assembly line, uh, then there was no need for Henry Ford. Because look, we have the assembly line. It's silly. What are they doing? They are confusing agency with mechanism. They are, they are confusing a designer with his design. Because the design exists, we don't need the designer. That's silly. That would be like going to Cuba to find a good car. What happened? When the embargo started in the 1960s, after Castro took over, they could no longer import cars. Now, I understand in the last few years, they started again from China and other places. But they, if you went there, you would just see 1950s, American cars. If communism was so great, they would have designed a better car. But they couldn't design anything. They couldn't manufacture anything. They had to somehow keep these 1950s vehicles on the road. What did we find out? That the existence of the creation, listen, the existence of the creation, the car, it still requires a designer to see it move ahead. And there was no new design. And so everything stayed right where it is. Jesus Christ is the creator. Now, this is is interesting. This, This concept that scientists can disprove the existence of God. The existence of secondary operational causes does not disprove or does not explain the origin. It's like the Stephen Hawking the famous mathematician, he said, because the law of gravity exists, 
the earth can and will create itself out of nothing. Now, again, you've got to take your brain out and play with it to think like that. Because the law of gravity is not nothing. And the problem with a law is a law cannot create anything. A law describes something. So what the law of gravity does is it defines a characteristic that exists in the universe. It did not create the characteristic. It's confusing the law with the creator of the law. And so, of course, that's circular reasoning. The fundamental principle in all of science is the law of causality. If we can't assume that effects have causes, then we can't do science. What is science? Science is determining cause and effect. Why? If this force takes place in the universe, you have this effect. And if that is consistent, then it can be defined as a law. Right? We understand that. That's what science does. But there are things that science cannot explain. I heard this analogy, and I love it. How many of you have ever seen somebody on the beach using a metal detector? Right? And what are they doing? That guy and the dude, in the, with the, he's going down the beach looking for lost jewelry or money. He's looking for... What, what does a metal detector detect? I know it's a hard question right now this early in the morning. What does a metal detector detect? Metal. So the metal detector guy, he comes back and he says, Hey, you know what I've realized? There is absolutely no plastic or rubber on the beach. Why do you say that? Because my metal detector didn't find it. And not only that, not only is there no, met, no rubber or plastic on the beach, there's none in the world because my metal detector can't find it. And you point out to him, Sir, your metal detector is made of plastic and rubber. No, no, no. It doesn't exist because my metal detector can't find it. Now, how many of you think that's absurd? And so you have a scientist who believes that the world exists only by natural materialistic means. And he says he can't find God in those natural or materialistic means. The only problem is the thing he's using to determine that there is no God the thing he's using to discover the laws of the universe is a mind. A mind is an immaterial thing. There's a difference between a brain and a mind, right? A mind is an immaterial thing. Love, emotions, all of the things that go into our decision-making, the morality of a scientist. Do you know that scientists have to have morality? They have to, there must be some trust that, that the results that they are declaring are the true results. Do you see that that requires morality? All of these concepts, is morality a material thing? Can science discern morality? No, science can discern how something works, not how you should use it. And so the scientist who says there is no God, that's not a scientific statement because it's beyond his ability to understand it. Now, this is very interesting. What do we mean by causes? When we say that the law, that Jesus Christ created the world, that is that he is the ultimate first cause of everything that exists. Now, there are two different types of causes, natural and unnatural. Or natural and intelligent. A natural cause would be the Grand Canyon. When you go and look at the Grand Canyon, you can see that water could have created, the movement of water could have created the Grand Canyon. It's a natural cause. But you would never say that water created Mount Rushmore. 
right? One takes an intelligence, one's natural, and one takes an intelligence. So natural or non-natural causes. Either something was caused by a natural force like gravity or an intelligent being like God. It's really important that we get this. So this is where, when, when we say we see Jesus, the Creator, the reason that we as Christians can see the Creator is because He has an option. Right? This is the where the rubber meets the road in the conversation. There are two different worldviews. The worldview of the theist, the person who believes in God, and the atheist, the person who believes there is no God, that lead to different conclusions. You see, this is really important. Theists, or those who believe in God, are actually more open-minded than atheists. Because we are open to the possibility of God, they refuse the possibility of God. You see, every Christian, every person who believes that God created the world, we also believe that God created the laws of the universe. So science can be done. If there were no laws of the universe, then science couldn't be done. So, listen, man did not create God. God created man, right? God created the scientists and the laws of the universe that scientists can study. And I like what John Lennox said. He said, not everything a scientist says is scientific. So if a scientist says he can disprove God, he has gone beyond the realm of his discipline. He's moved into philosophy, and scientists generally make horrible philosophers. Now, that whole concept of the metal detector. If you have a worldview that disallows the the existence of God, and then you say, I can't find God, that's metal detector man. Right? Isn't that exactly right? And then I want you to see something else. Look at what it says in verse 3. Who, being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now look at what it says in verse 3 again, the, middle of ver- the beginning of verse 3. Who, being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person. So that is God Himself who came and was born of a virgin. And then look at what it says and upholding all things by the word of His power. So what does the God of the Bible do? Number one, He creates. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God creates. But then, not only does He create, He sustains. He upholds all things by the word of His power. Those who have discerned the laws of the universe, what they have decided is that these laws must be consistent. So when I was in college, I had a a teacher in Bible college who had um, been in the Air Force. He was a colonel in the Air Force. He taught at the War College. He taught at the Air Force Academy. And he was one of the leaders of Ronald Reagan's Star Wars Initiative. And so he he was just a brilliant man. He was teaching me basic math. It takes someone that smart to teach me basic math. I'm just telling you. Now, I asked him one day, I said, "How, how is it possible to launch a missile from Nebraska and have it hit Moscow. How do you how how is that possible? And so he wrote this whole formula on the board. Right? And I didn't understand the formula, but I didn't have to do math that day, so I won. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> now, but it is very interesting when when my teacher did that, Barry Britton, when Colonel Britton when he he drew this formula on the board, there were some assumptions there. 
And those assumptions are that you have a certain amount of air density, that you have a certain amount of gravity, that it takes a certain amount of force or propulsion to move a rocket a certain amount of distance, and you have to allow for the curvature of the earth, right? Because the, cur- the earth remains curved. How many believe the earth remains curved? Right? You believe that. What, what are we talking about? We are talking about consistencies. The ability to do science is predicated upon the consistency of the laws of the universe. But I want you to ask a scientist, why are these laws consistent? Because the atheistic scientist definitely believes he has faith in the consistency of the laws of the universe. Would you all agree with that? But now ask him where those laws came from. And why do they stay consistent? They cannot answer that question. We can. What does the Bible say? Jesus Christ. He upholds, upholding all things by the word of his power. So what did we say? What does the God of the universe do? The Jesus Christ that came at at Bethlehem. The God of the Bible, he does at least three things. Number one, he creates. Number two, he sustains. And do you know what happened at Christmas time? He intervened. You see, if he only did those first two things, he would be the God of deism, the God of Thomas Jefferson and others who believed that there was a God who created the world and then just stepped back and watched it. But at Christmas time, Jesus Christ intervened in his own creation. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's the Christ that came at Christmas time. We see Jesus The Creator. The Creator entered His creation. And even though some can say, I don't believe in you, Jesus Christ says, I don't believe in atheists. And He came. And He'll save anyone who will receive Him. We see Jesus Christ, the Creator. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Keep your place in Hebrews. If it's not too late, you can find it again. Colossians chapter 1. This is an amazing prayer that the Apostle Paul was praying for those at Colossae. And look at what it says. Verse 12, giving thanks, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet or or acceptable to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Isn't it wonderful that you don't have to come to me to have your sins forgiven? I can't forgive your sins, but Jesus Christ can. The forgiveness of sins. Who is the image of the invisible God, the first begotten of every creature? Remember what it said in Hebrews. Who being the express image, right? The express image of God who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Now look at what it says. All things were created by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. So you have to have a Creator before the creation. 
You have to have a designer before a design, and you have to have a lawgiver before you can have a law. And Jesus Christ not only gave the law, the laws of the universe through creation, but He upholds them. He is the one that makes the world consist, and one day He's going to let it go. The Bible says, And I saw a great white throne, and He that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. That's the Savior that came. That's the one who came at Bethlehem. We see Jesus, the Creator. Next, go back to Hebrews chapter 1. Not only do we see Jesus, the Creator, and of course much more could be said about that, don't ever, don't ever feel insecure when Christianity is mocked by an atheist. I said in Sunday school, Richard Dawkins mocks Christians because they believe in talking snakes from Genesis chapter 3. And my response is, well, he, we, yes, we believe in talking snakes, and he believes in talking monkeys. Right? He believes that we came from monkeys, that we're just monkeys that lost the tail and can talk, and whose thumbs miraculously turned around. It, it, it is amazing. It is amazing that these people mock us when it takes much greater faith that everything came from nothing than it does to believe that everything came from God. Right? When you see design, there must be a designer. When you look up here and you see that it says reset and then it says Christmas, set in order the things that are wanting. When you see that word Christmas, you don't look at that and say, isn't Mother Nature wonderful? Look how Mother Nature ordered those letters. No, it took intelligence to put those... Now, Pastor Nathan did it, so that could be an argument against it. But it, it requires an intelligence to design letters and put them in order, right? If uh, I saw a guy did a presentation. Remember alphabets? Do they, are they still... That serial alphabets, do they still make that? It was serial that was made up of letters, and he said, imagine if you came out in the morning and the alphabets were spilled on the table and it said, don't forget to take out the trash, mom. Would you think that that just happened by random chance? Or maybe mom had put the letters in order. Is that right? Why? There's intelligence. There's intelligence. Um, uh, Bill Gates said that the DNA code it is like com computer code, but is much more complicated and complex. And yet, we are to believe that this one and a half billion letter word just happened. Does it take more faith to believe that that happened or that there was a designer who designed the DNA code? Because it cannot design itself. It's really important that we get this. This is our Savior. This is Jesus. But not only did He create this amazing world, look at what it says again in verse 3, "...who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high." This is an amazing thing. We see Jesus Christ, not only the Creator, but the crucified. 
The Creator entered His creation. Not only did He enter His creation, He became a part of His creation. Not only did He enter His creation and become a part of the creation, but He allowed Himself to be tortured and killed by the creation. That's an amazing thing. We see Jesus Christ, the crucified. In a single sentence, we're taken from creation to Calvary. The Creator entered His creation and died on the cross to pay for the sins of mankind. Why did He come? Because there remains so much more to be said. Man can't pay for his own sin. He can't do it. It would require a sinless sacrifice. And so in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, it says, Thou hast prepared for me a body. And what was that body for? That body was to be pierceable and whippable and crucifiable. It was able to be taken and nailed to a cross and to die so that you and I could be saved. Jesus Christ, the crucified. Look at the contrast. We see His glory, His person, His power, and our sins. Do you see that in the middle of verse 3? When He had by Himself purged, what's it say? Our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. His glory, His person, His power, and then our sin. You remember when you were a little, I think it was Sesame Street, one of these does not belong? Which of these does not belong? Our sin. That's the Savior that came at Bethlehem. We see Jesus the Creator. We see Jesus the Crucified. But not only was He crucified, He's at the right hand of God. Do you see at the end of verse 3? After And when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the Majesty on high. This is really important. Now, if you've not been awake for anything, wake up for this one. This is really important. God never leaves Jesus Christ on the cross. How many of you have, how many of you have seen a crucifix? Right? Especially uh, in religious places, you'll see images of a baby in his mother's arms. Did Jesus Christ stay that way? No. You'll see images of Christ on the cross. And it's usually something like this. The God that created the world allowed Himself to be nailed to a cross. And when the time came, He said, it is finished. And He gave up the ghost. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus Christ took Peter, James, and John up onto a high mountain. And the Bible says, and He was transfigured before them. And there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah. And what were they doing? And He he discussed the death which He would accomplish at Jerusalem. You see, the death of Jesus Christ was not a tragedy. It was an accomplishment. Jesus Christ accomplished His own death. He is God. So this Creator, this Creator that created everything and upholds it with the word of His power, who entered His creation and allowed Himself to be killed, when the time to die came, He was still in control and He yielded up the ghost. God didn't leave Him on that cross. He arose from the dead. He walked the earth for 50 days. And then He ascended to the right hand of the Father. And remember what the angel said? Why stand ye gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, this same Jesus, which you have seen go, will come again in like manner. Jesus Christ is coming back. You see, we see Jesus, the Creator, and we see Jesus, 
the crucified, but God never leaves him on the cross. Our God is not a murdered God. Our God is one who sacrificed himself for us and then rose from the dead, proving that he was, is, and always will be God. So we see Jesus Christ, the creator. We see Jesus Christ, the crucified. But I love this. We see Jesus Christ, the changeless. The changeless. He doesn't change. Look at verse 11. Hebrews 1, look at verse 11. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they all shall wax old as doth a garment. How many of you have clothes that have worn out? You've had clothes that worn out. So everything else in the world will get old and perish as doth a garment. Verse 12, And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same and thy years shall not fail. Jesus Christ, the changeless. Jesus will remain. And not only does He remain, but He remains with us. They shall perish, but thou remainest. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I love this. When you're tired, He is there. When you don't know which way to turn, He is there. When you are hurting, He is there. When you are lonely, He is there. When friends forsake you, He is there. Jesus remains. Praise His holy name. How many of you have sinned since you got saved? Anyone here? You have sinned since you got... We have some perfect people here. Either that or you never got saved. If you got saved, how many of you have sinned since you got saved? Isn't it wonderful that even though you change your commitment, Jesus Christ, your Savior never changes. His love for you never changes. His forgiveness of your sin never changes. He will never take His salvation that He gave you as a free gift. He will never take it back. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and then what's the rest? Forever. Jesus Christ. Let's all say it together. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He remains changeless. That is what a, that is a fantastic thing. Thou art the same. Christ is the creator of all things and the one who in the midst of change is unchanging. The immutability, that's the changelessness of God, is reflected in Jesus Christ. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Not only do we see Jesus Christ the creator, not only do we see Jesus Christ the crucified, and Jesus Christ the changeless. And let me, I don't want to just gloss over that. That changelessness of Christ is why we can have eternal salvation. That's his, one of his deities, one, I'm sorry, one of his attributes is his immutability. It cannot change. Not only that, but we see Jesus Christ, the captain of our salvation. Jesus Christ, the captain of our salvation. Um, look with me at chapter 2 and verse 1. Therefore... We ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression uh, and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him. God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders and with diverse miracles and gifts according to the Holy Ghost, according to His own will. 
For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But in one place he testified, but in one place testified, I'm sorry, but in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and did set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. All those things that we can't cure, that we can't take care of. Why? Because sin came into the world. Verse 9, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became Him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Jesus Christ is the captain of our salvation. So this idea of being a captain, a captain, it's an interesting thing. There, there are two words or several words that this captain can uh, denote. The first is leader, leader. And how many of you believe that Jesus Christ is supposed to be the leader of the church? Right? Uh, that's what Colossians 1.18 says. He's the head of all things pertaining to the church. He's, the, he's over it. He's in charge of the church. He's our leader. But not only that, but the idea of a captain is one who has gone before. One who has gone before. And Jesus Christ, the Bible says He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Jesus Christ has gone before us. Sometimes you look at somebody and you're explaining something that you have gone through, and here's what, they, what you say to them. They say, oh, I understand. And you say, no, you can't possibly understand. You have not been through this. That was one of the first things I learned as a pastor is don't say that to somebody. I don't understand what it's like to go through cancer. I've never gone through that. There's so many things that I can't understand. Jesus Christ can understand. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus Christ understands everything that we've gone through. Why? Because He was here first and He went through it first. He created the world. He entered His creation. And then He bore every sin and every trial. The thing that we have to remember is that when Jesus Christ was on the cross, He didn't just suffer the pain of the cross. He suffered the punishment, the torment of every sin that had ever been committed or ever would be committed in the world. That's what Jesus Christ took on the cross. He suffered more than the cumulative sufferings of all the sufferings of every person that ever did or ever will live. Jesus Christ is the captain of our salvation. He is our leader, and He's been there before. I think of the mountain men. You know, they'd, they'd go and they'd explore ways over the mountains, and then they'd come back and they'd lead wagon trains. And these, these wagon trains wanted one of these men. Why? Because they had been there before. The captain of our salvation has been through death and conquered it. He bore our sin and conquered it. He created the world, and now He is coming back. And when he comes back, what's he going to do? He's going to conquer it. Do you know what he wants to do? He doesn't want to conquer your heart. He wants you to give it to him. He wants you to give it to him. Could he conquer it? Yes. But he has chosen not to. Jesus is more than a pioneer or a mountain man. He is God. 
But unto the Son He saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of Thy kingdom. But I love this. Not only is He the Creator and the Crucified and the Changeless and our, the Captain of our salvation, but He's also the Chief Priest. He's the Chief Priest. Um, look at what the Bible says. In, I, I quoted it in just, uh, just a minute ago. Look at chapter 4 and verse 14. Why don't we start at verse 12? For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Look at verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now, if you're here today, there's something you need to know. Jesus knows exactly what you're thinking. He knows exactly what's in your heart. He knows exactly what you have done, and He knows exactly all that you will ever do. That's who we're talking about. That's who our chief priest is. Look at verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So what should we do because of that? Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I like Psalm 103, 14. It says this, For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. He knows our hurts. He knows our needs. He knows our dreams. He knows our desires. He knows what we want for Christmas. But He gave us a greater gift than anyone else could ever give us. Who was it that came? Who was it that, that was born in Bethlehem? Who was it that died in Jerusalem? Who was it that rose from the dead and walked around and revealed Himself to more than 500 people and then ascended to the right hand of the Father? Who is it that's coming back? It's Jesus. Is Jesus. He made you. He sustained you. He died for your sins. If you're saved, He cleansed you. If you're not, He wants to. And that's the one who's coming back. I was um, up at the hospital this week with uh, um, Justin Yo's grandmother, Gloria. And I asked her, I said, uh, are you saved? She said, yes. I said, you know you're going to heaven? She said, yes. I said, when did you get saved? She said, when I was 17. I said, you've known Jesus for a long time, haven't you? And she said, he's known me longer. That's who we worship at Christmas. That's who came. Are you glad he didn't stay a baby? Are you glad he didn't stay on the cross? When he conquered death, he conquered that, sin, that death that we deserve. What a wonderful, wonderful Savior. What are you focused on this Christmas? You focused on your Christmas meal? You focused on your family get-together? Are you focused on your precious Savior? Let's make sure that we see Jesus. Amen? Thank you, Lord, so much for your word. Lord, we don't deserve any of it.